0: (laughs) Tanupee, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) the name of our podcast is with Rye, sir. Rye is an Ethereum client developer (laughs) Uh, working for Consensus, which is a big blockchain company based out of uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, Rye. How are you?
1: How did I get here? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you guys?
0: Well, we brought you here to ask you a few questions about um, the human race and how you humanoids are doing all this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because we got here, you know, we expected to be way more advanced than you when we landed on the earth. And we got here and we're like, shit, we just got done. We invented the wheel. This, and then the RV. And then we invented the wheel and then the RV, uh, which flies. And then we flew that RV to earth and realized, man, literally nothing else of your technology uh, do we have. Oh, so wow. We, we want to learn as much as we can from you.
2: Wow.
1: You guys had a really different trajectory than us.
2: Thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for agreeing to get kidnapped for this show, Rai. That was very cool and much more voluntary than, than other guests we've had that have been, uh, struggled a bit more.
1: You're very welcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Very cordial.
0: Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. How are things going? <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot. The- oh my <laughs> God. this is such an interesting energy right now compared to like, the beginning of other ones. I don't, I don't know what's happening. This is but a, it's, it's kind yeah. of awesome.
0: Yeah. Let's keep doing this until we lose everybody. And then we can really just go no holds barred, talk about anything we want. Because no one's going to listen to us this for sure. Yeah. Um, right. This is so, going to be
2: fun and exciting uh, until you just get really frustrated. Yeah. Which might not take that much longer, actually. <laughs> Yay.
0: So, Ryan, um, we, we, start, we start the podcast with a game that you should know very well called It's a Business. Okay. Um, which, for anyone who doesn't know, which is everyone, uh, Ryan <laughs> and I actually created that game together uh, down in Colombia. So, yep, yeah, you have to, you're not allowed to plan ahead. You have to say It's a Business. And he can't have any, any plan ahead of time. And then you just go.
1: Okay. Am I starting?
0: Yep. You start.
1: Okay. Um, it's a business where you, um, it's like a cloud business where you can upload a picture of your asshole and it, uh, provides you with the closest picture, um, like of a log that looks like your asshole. So you can find like your asshole doppelganger in log form. Um, That's awesome. and it's, oh no, no. And, and not only does it give you the log, like it tells you the species. So then it's like, it's kind of like your horoscope, but for your asshole with tree species, Twenty nine ninety nine a month.
0: So is it, is it just the, I'm curious <laughs> about, um, about an asshole looking like a log.
1: So it's like the cross-section, like the, cross section, like the, like the, okay, the, the rings of section. it, you know?
2: What's the you, uh, initial demographic that you're going to go after, like big astrology people that are really into any form of, you know, symbolism towards astrology? And this could be like the next
1: big thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'll start first. Like the first kind of key demographic is Kanye. Um, <laughs> just, just him. And I think, um, I think that'll, that'll go over well. Um, and then the band will really spread through, uh, Instagram and yeah.
0: You know, I can see you making a pretty successful, leg- legitimate troll about rectal astrology, <laughs> um, because if someone's already into astrology and all really all due respect, if you're into rest- astrology, I don't, I don't believe in that, um, but if like if someone like there are people who will just believe like whatever random thing comes at them um and like if it if it feels good enough and uh, if they're really convinced that like doing rectal astrology is going to give them and rectal horoscopes is going to give them a much more accurate um prediction of what they should do with their life uh then you probably get some people doing it
1: there's a um There's a term for... I forgot what the term is for this, but it's like a term for the people who... They get, like, roped into some conspiracy theories and stuff, and then they're much more likely to believe the other ones. Um, Mm. Which I just realized... Worse, like, less likely than believing one conspiracy theory is believing all of them, because what are the odds that all of them happened? Um, So maybe that's that's something (laughs) you can get to them with.
0: Yeah, I actually... I don't I can't think of a person that I've met who only believes in one conspiracy theory.
1: I think there's a conspiracy to make sure that people believe in multiple conspiracy theories. But that's the only one I believe in.
0: <laughs> um so speaking of uh of, of trolling, I was watching this I was so there's a clip Fox News ran a segment uh talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, like people taking down statues and like social justice movement, and they did a very serious uh, six minute segment about a petition. There was a petition to, to replace the statue of Christopher Columbus in uh, in Columbus, Ohio, with the statue of uh, Chef Boyardee, <laughs> and. There was also a petition to change the name of Columbus, Ohio to flavor (laughs) town. And they didn't get that it was a joke. And so it was amazing watching them uh, talk about this and the like, "Um, so like, is like, is this really about uh, social justice and black lives matter anymore? Like when we're trying to change the name of cities to flavor (laughs) town and, uh, (laughs) like man what is it? yeah what is this movement coming to like the left has gone crazy and just like that amazing
1: so Which... one one interesting thing though is that um i was talking with this about my friends i was talking about this with my friends and um we were talking about how the scary thing about Kanye running for president is that it might be uh like the fact that he's, it's just so outrageous makes for good clicks, which means that journalists have an incentive to cover him or people have an incentive to cover him and actually legitimize the presidency, the, like the the campaign to a certain extent. Um, and what were you saying right before?
0: Um, about Fox News and Flavor right, Yeah. and uh, yeah. Black Lives and Matter. So
1: the thing is that like jokes now, like they have a way of like potentially being real whereas before like there were systems in place you know there was there was other bad things happened before like journalists if they didn't see you as a candidate you know they wouldn't cover you and then you would be locked out in that sense which caused a whole other host of like bad um outcomes like you know if you didn't look the part of a president or you know there was nothing in it for the journalists or whatever they wouldn't cover you and your you know campaign couldn't get off the ground so there were bad things about how things used to be but yeah like If Flavortown comes to be seen as, like, something that ruffles the rights feathers, then that joke could, like, kind of, like, spiral out of control. And, like, you can't tell me after all the shit that's happened with, like, Trump being president and now 2020 that, like, that stuff's not possible, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, anything Um... is possible now
0: the only so with with kanye running for president the only thing that will stop that is that the uh and he doesn't seem to be aware of this that the deadline to file paperwork work for most states has already passed mm. so he literally cannot run for president in all but like five states
1: is that is that is that can he not run for president or can he not join a party because i thought you could write in anyone you wanted as president
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. He could be. He could still be a write-in candidate. Yeah. but he Yeah. Can't yeah. File oh yeah. He any won't. He won't to get on, the, on ballot. the ballot. Yeah. 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 Um, so at least that's that's a protection. There was also the last last time something similar happened. I guess it was uh, it was it was like naming a uh, naming one of the navy's boats or something like that, and then the like overwhelming uh, majority uh like submission was Bodie McBoatface. It was a it like was
1: that. a I think it was an Arctic research vessel. Um Oh okay. Yeah. There was like they ended up they ended up not naming it that they ended up naming like yeah. a little little like like a little boat that's on the boat, uh Bodie McBoatface and they named the whole boat the you know SS David Attenborough or something.
0: Oh wait, they, they they did do it. They took yeah. uh, oh they they named part of it Bodie McBoatface. Yeah, there's like a little
1: like research vessel that can go off of the main boat, and that's called Bodie McBoatface. Oh, awesome! Okay, yeah.
0: that gives me hope yeah. for humanity. <laughs> same thing. Same thing. In my college, there was uh, they um, they gave students the like back when my brother was going to SUNY Purchase, which is where I went to school too. They gave students they let students vote on what the name of a new dormitory was going to be. And so then a bunch of people, like, wrote it. Like, they got a bunch of people organized to write in the same one, and they all named it uh, Fort Awesome. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which is is actually, there were some other ones that were weird, which is, like, um, like like doom and then in parentheses in drippy, like in drippy letters. Um, but the actual name submission included the parentheses in drippy letters in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the administration did not want to go ahead and name their building Fort awesome, but eventually student pressure, <laughs> uh, succeeded and they named one of the dormitories Fort awesome.
1: That's great. Yeah. Hey, they got lucky, honestly, Fort awesome is so PG for a write-in. Yeah. Like the stuff that 4chan organizes is like, yeah, next level.
0: Yeah. There's more technology now and more like social media. So I'm, I'm sure that that kind of organizing would be a lot easier now. Mm -hmm. So people would be able to organize around something more absurd, but there you go.
2: Um, Ryan, would would you be into the idea of, um, creating your own university where you could also create. Your own currency and name it however you want. The currency can be used in any sort of way, you know, any which way that you'd like. Um, and if people, everybody that, I think you could do like an opposite, like everybody that was rejected from the university actually got in. Like anybody that's not qualified to come, didn't get the right test scores, those are the people that you let in. And all the people that are like would fall into the categories that you would you know, that you put on your, oh, you have to have these requirements, those people actually don't get in. Does that seem like a university that you could be down to, to found?
1: I can't say so, no.
2: Damn, uh, I, th- I, th- I, thought I, had, I thought I had you there. <laughs> Dan and I have been talking about this, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that, and yeah. we, were, we were thinking maybe you'd be the right man for the job.
1: I often have fantasies, though, of what I would do if I could found a country. Like, if I make boatloads of money and could found a country, or or I, actually, there's just, like, a bunch of institutions, there's a bunch of institutional patterns that you, you can't create unless you are just a, you know, a, a benevolent, you know, donor of, like, his estate, and then you can, like, set systems up in a certain way. But until then, like, until you get to that, if you have to compete in certain ways, like there's a lot of force that brings you to the status quo.
0: So what are, um, what are some of the things that you would establish if you bought your own country and set it up?
1: Well, one of the interesting things I've been reading about is, um, how bad science is at doing science or let's, let's put it this way. How bad academia is at doing science and it's because there are these stable equilibriums in the, you know, each each individual actor is doing rational things, but there's a stable equilibrium that is pretty bad for everyone else because they can't coordinate and do a better thing. So let me make that concrete. One example is why are there journals that charge a ton of money in order for you to read it in order to you know have it distributed uh, it kind of goes against what science is because how is it, how are people going to replicate your your studies if they don't have access to them in the first place the problem is that there's this kind of equilibrium where once a journal becomes the most prestigious journal then they can start charging money because everyone else still wants to be part of that more prestigious journal And each individual, if they act on their own and be like, you know what, I'm not going to submit to that journal, I'll submit to this other journal, they'll just be seen as less prestigious by the status quo who is looking at the journal that's at the top right now. So it requires like a concerted effort for like scientists of all sorts to move at once. Um, And this also affects like the methodology of science, which is the worst part. Like there's this, um, there's this way of determining whether a result is significant or not significant called p-values and one the idea of something being significant or insignificant doesn't make sense because probability is a continuum so there's not like one point at which your results become significant there's just degrees of significance Um, but there's a much better measure called likelihood and no researchers use likelihood because journals are used to you used to accepting p values. And if so, if you use likelihood, even though it's a better system, um, you're not going to be accepted to those things. So you're incentivized to use the worst way to measure outcomes in your science.
0: So what's, wait, so why, do, why does no, no scientist use likelihood? Uh, why is, why are we using that? So or why are we
1: using? So yes. it started off in, like, I think the 1800s or something, people started using p-values. Likelihoods came, came along after... The, likelihoods came along after, I think, journal, some journals were already... Uh, they already had, mm. you know, the first mover advantage. And so this is the big thing, is that whoever moves first tends to have this big network effect because everyone wants to get through them because they represent prestige and all of this stuff. And so the problem is... So, for example, The journals don't want to switch to say, oh, we're only going to accept likelihoods because then they lose the researchers who are doing all of their research and p values to 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 have the greater likelihood of being accepted to many journals. So if some if you have a unilat if you can unilaterally decide something and you're not you don't have to compete, then you can say, okay, we're just going to do likelihoods, for example. But no one has that kind of no one has that benefit or the desire to do that. Um, because if they go out on their own, then they're essentially, gonna, they're essentially going to suffer in the short run. Um, and actually, maybe people will never switch over to the likelihoods. So the only solution is to get everyone to switch over at the same time so that no one is harmed. And that's essentially what Kickstarter is, which is um, everyone's like, oh, we'll give money, but only if we get to this certain amount. So Kickstarter is actually a really, really good way to model how to change as a collective but we don't use it for anything other than, you know, funding, like the next, you know, novelty keyboard or something.
0: Right. So how would, so how would you apply that to a scientific, like to scientific research?
1: Hmm. Okay. So there would so okay i'm I'm thinking out ra- out loud, so this m- probably this probably won't be the necessary minimum that you need, but it could probably be enough to get a um you know a bunch of scientists to pledge that if if like a majority of the other scientists from certain prestigious institutions pledge this, then we will all simultaneously switch over to using likelihoods in a study um and so this is basically the idea behind the interstate compact. Have you heard of it to get around the electoral college?
0: No, I haven't heard of that.
1: So it's like they, they basically say that they, have so like I think 20 something states have adopted the legislature that is, as soon as states with a majority of the electoral college votes all adopt the interstate compact, then, then, the delegates will pledge to vote for whoever is the winner of the popular vote. So it's a way to to subvert the Electoral College and to essentially elect the popular vote winner as president without having to change the Electoral College itself.
0: OK, so you need a majority of states or a mo- majority, majority of electoral of, votes, majority of electoral votes. Interesting. So why why didn't that happen? Was there an uh, an organized effort to try and make that happen in 2016?
1: Um, No, I think it's been around for a while because any state who agrees with it can sign on and nothing happens until it would be powerful enough to actually make a difference. So any state that has the law in the books, the law is worded in such a way that it won't do anything until states with the majority of the electoral college votes all have that law in their books.
0: Okay. So it's kind of how like many, a pact how many... to
1: say, we will change our law, we will change our behavior as soon as we're, right. pa- we're powerful enough to make a difference, you know?
0: So how, how, what percentage of electoral vote holding States, like out of all the electoral votes h- held by States, how many are, are we at now?
1: To I don't switch? know off the top of my head, but I remember, I, I can like feel the ballpark of like how I thought about, like, I can, I remember the feeling when I heard about it and it was higher than I thought. I think it's like we might be at 30 to 40 percent or something
0: really so are we are we on the edge of eliminating the electoral college
1: well so there's a couple of things one the the kind of the the first electoral votes are the lowest-hanging fruit the hardest ones will be when it comes to the battleground states right because each state is gonna know kind of where the popular vote is going to go because the popular vote is tending to go democrat right so when it comes down to actually getting the states that swing things and if they're red then they're not going to want to put that law in the books so it gets harder and harder the closer you get to the finish line and then on top of that i heard that as soon as you is if you even if you did get it onto the finish line there would likely be challenges to it on constitutional bases so right could be struck down in some way and now I don't know anything more because I'm not a legal expert, but I do know that it's not going to be like, it's not going to be like a swiper from door. Of the Explorer where you just say like swiper, no swipe, and everyone's like, Oh shucks, and he's like, Oh shucks. You know, yeah. it's like, it's more like then a huge fight will ensue, over the legality of it.
2: Yeah, totally. This also totally. seems like something that could that could flip flop pretty easily, like depending on the current um, kind of you know, political environment, whether it's now or whether it's four years from now, whether it's eight years from now or what have you, and who seems to hold more power um, in the different branches of government then certain, you know, with this part, the Republicans will want this in certain states mm-hmm. and in other states and it'll switch depending on who's in power. Um, and it seems a t- like a tough thing as long as people are really staying along party lines to, to like fully pass over the line.
1: Yeah. Um, and also... I, also, I don't know who signed on, but I can take an educated guess that it's mainly highly populous states because less popul less populous states have more power per electoral college vote. Um, so they're probably not going to be incentivized to sign the compact. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a, that's an interesting thing. So I am like, obviously it, it makes more sense if more people vote for a candidate and then that candidate gets in. Um, at the same time, I do understand the plight of a small state who's like, you know, let's say we did switch to a popular vote system. All these small states would be like, well, we're just com- completely ignored. Um, we have no power and they're just going to like the country's just going to do whatever they want and just ignore this whole big landmass of the country because there's a big landmass of the country that is not really with the majority. uh in, in terms of like political ideology. So I don't know, what do you, what do you guys think about that? Like, is it yeah, is it there is there a place to lend some credence to those uh, states to actually have a say? Or do we just say, honestly, there's way more people who believe this certain thing in the country, so we should just listen to all
2: those states? Yeah, well, that's a big part of the electoral, that is the electoral college reasoning, right? But what about, yeah. you know, if there's some type of a compromise in terms of maybe keeping the electoral college but evening out a bit more the ratio of state population to electoral votes because um, that that ratio is not accurate actually right now at all it's not truly representative of how many people are in that given but, state it's a general but that's representation
1: actually, I, think that's a, I think that's a design goal of it because if you actually totally. made it representative yeah. then it just becomes a proxy for popular vote if and you so, make it
2: truly representative maybe you get yeah. a little bit closer um, yeah. without going all the way. I, I don't know. But um, but yeah, that, that's true. Those, those people do tend to get ignored, I mean, even even now. But yeah. Um, do you, I mean, there's also the argument that, like, well, if that it, sh- that it doesn't matter. Um, I, I don't fully believe that, but there are definitely people that think that. That, you know, I, well, if these people are, you know, they're pissed off about that, should they have more of a, a, a vote because they're representing kind of more land...
1: In the country, and maybe not. I don't know. I think it's pretty, pretty like one shitty things that liberals do is that they kind of see the middle of America or you know the Trump supporters as holding everyone back and like you know get with the progress and all this stuff, but them holding everyone back and them then voting for something that against you, you know it's like it shouldn't cause a battle, it should, it should make you think like, oh, okay, this is the purpose of the Electoral College that like, if we don't, if we don't spread those goods to everyone across all the states, and if we, you know, if we don't get everyone on the same page education wise and give them the same opportunities, then uh, they're not going to make it easy for us and we will feel held back. Mm hmm.
2: What yeah. do you think about splitting state electoral votes, which I think like two, I think Nebraska and Maine do that right now. Mm-hmm. I the last of what I saw. And actually, I think it's kind of interesting because I was looking up when they both passed, I guess, like when they decided that they were going to do that. Like Nebraska was a while ago. It was mm-hmm. like, I think like in like the early 80s or something. I, I, I Don't quote me on that, although my quotes are now in here, but... Because it's being recorded. <laughs> but I, it was a while ago. And Maine, I think, was, like, maybe 2007 or something. Um, but they're having, I don't think there's any others, right, that, like, split electoral votes based on... Yeah, I, I
1: know it's, you're right that it's just a handful. It's, like, definitely less than five. Um, yeah, I mean, the... They already have their... outs Like, a small estate already has its outsized power in number of votes. So how they choose to split it is kind of, you know, up to them. Um, you know, when you look at it from a more federal level, like if you were an intelligent designer of the system, you would see how different behavior emerges when you have winner-take-all elections at these subregions, which is essentially how, like, it's essentially like um, how you get less, you get less proportional representatives, you know, the bigger these chunks are. Uh, so maybe like an intelligent designer, like a federal perspective would see inefficiencies, but at the state level, uh, it doesn't really affect like their their power um unless it's viewed in the lens of like a specific election and if they're going to tip things over to one side or the other you know a priori they don't know which way things are going to go and so they can so they're fine to do either way either vote them all in bulk or vote them separately
0: um just just speaking about power and and government something i was i was thinking about is um, the idea behind cryptocurrencies and bitcoin and ethereum is that like these could just create i mean they already have created a new currency and in theory they could replace the need for banks Um, and that's kind of the idea of a lot of bitcoin maximalists is that you know we don't want uh we don't want centralized currency Uh, we don't want currency to be tied to governments or any centralized authority we want currency to be completely decentralized and i was kind of thinking would that actually would that be better um like because what like is it i i personally i think it's good for governments to have a certain amount of power because without that we don't have uh we don't have countries um if you don't have a government with power then there's they can't like how do you fund healthcare? How do you fund uh, school systems? How do you actually make a, a society run, on op- run and operate if the government doesn't have any financial power um, to, like, to do all that stuff? Um, yeah, like what, what, would, what would society actually look like if Bitcoin replaced centralized currency? And do you think that's likely?
1: well one way society would look at bitcoin replaced everything is payments would be very very slow so um one of the one of the thing the ways that blockchain is shaping out to be an important technology is actually for the small amount of use cases where different entities are transacting with one another and they have like their different data silos. I'll explain more about this later. Um, But basically in only the most like heavy, you know, security, like conscious cases that sit at like the base layer, what you could call like the settlement layer for the world. And then much faster and like non blockchain, blockchain based solutions sit on top of that. So that's more likely where we're going because there's no free lunches in computer science just like there's no free lunches in economics. And so if you are going to increase the security of a system, then you're going to be trading off with something else. You're gonna be trading off with its, you know, scalability. Um, And so they are essentially, it's like ecological niches. You know, you have animals that spend a ton of energy and get a ton done, and you have animals that spend a little energy and are very small and, you know, Get small things done and you have them both existing simultaneously because that's the most efficient thing to do
0: okay well, i guess i'm thinking like you know let's i'm kind of imagining a, a hype some hypothetical where um cryptocurrency payments are fast and scalable um and decentralized to at least to a certain degree decentralized in that they're not run by a government or a central authority. Um, It could be bit like Bitcoin payments on the lightning network uh, Mm -hmm. where it's like a layer on top or like a side chain or something like that and not on the like the main chain, like fine, but it's still a part of the decentralized network. So like, let's say that becomes the norm and that becomes big enough that it can actually replace the use case of the US dollar um and the euro and the yuan and uh the peso like do you think like do you think that could happen and what would be the ramifications of that on on society like would i the part of me is like would society actually break down because of that
1: so um no uh so take for example a Uh, you know a random poor country they have their own currency but what they do is that in their reserves they have us dollars and that's why the us dollar is called the world's reserve currency is because they're holding these in order to say essentially okay if you try to you know collect on us or if you're trying to value our currency then you know that we at least have this much in the bank so to speak Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of like, just like how you can back currency with gold, you can back a currency with the US dollar, but then the US dollar isn't backed by anything. So this guy Ray Dalio talks about how um, having a reserve currency for that reason is very powerful because it costs someone in France $100 to get a $100 bill, but it costs the US government nothing to get a $100 bill Uh, and they spend the same. So right. having the world's reserve currency it's a function of being, you know, the most powerful, the most stable, stuff like that. Like it's a it's a it's a thing that's earned um but it's also a power that can be abused. So from the perspective of every other country, they already have kind of you know currencies that they can't control because they can see the US government is like a black box just like they could see the Ethereum or Bitcoin monetary policy is like a black box. You know, they just understand that like Okay, there's this currency out there that has value, and we can back our you know, we can back any instruments we want with that. For the U.S. government, it's different though, because the U.S. government can just print it, and that's for them. It's like, you know, they have up they have control over the money supply. So much in the same way that like. You know, it doesn't. N- nothing crazy happens when you go from. You know, be believing in one god to believing in zero gods because there's so many gods. There's nothing crazy that happens when you go from like one country having a reserve currency that they can control the monetary supply to to zero because almost every country was already operating under that paradigm.
0: Oh, that
1: that's really interesting. Um, so, like, because even... for them the dollar is already yeah, it's just like a black box. You know, like the dollar has the value that that everyone else says it has. You know
0: so like what would would the government like instead of being so the government you think that the government being a producer of money if that power was taken away where no government is a producer of money anymore and instead they're just holding a large amount of money uh that that like things would still operate um you know more or less smoothly
1: yeah they'd operate more or less smoothly and like one country in the world so the u.s right now Because like the country has the the reserve currency is not static, it changes over history. But the US right now will have will not have that power anymore. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I wonder what kind of impact that that would have on our country. I mean, I I mean, we were were there at one point. Yeah, we haven't always been we've it's really only it's been about 80 years that we've been the world's like superpower. It's a yeah. pretty
2: wild idea to just dissolve that power overall. Like, okay, it wouldn't be the US and nor would it be another huge empirical, you know, per, um, you know, powerhouse. It would just be nobody, yeah. right? It would just be individuals that share this, like it would, that is, that's, that's a pretty wild idea. So, and, and that's kind of and, getting rid of, because you're talking about like the shift from something that was more, I mean, like the gold standard, for example, that doesn't really hold weight anymore
1: and you know way more about that than I do. Right. But that's more or less correct. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so the U S yeah. the U S unpegged from, from the gold standard, I think in the seventies,
2: right. And well, okay. So the official gold standard, but gold and uh, so it's yeah. Okay. Um, so, but gold wasn't, uh, I don't, i sorry. I don't just mean the U.S. I mean like a gold standard, something like the gold standard, a gold standard would be an example. Um, but something that is i guess more international right it's not a currency cr- necessarily that like was created and is controlled by one country
1: and um, this is the this is the whole uh bitcoin is digital gold hypothesis yeah, yeah. right is that after a while bitcoin artificially has all of the properties that made gold uh valuable is that it's scarce it can it's scarce it's durable it's I forgot, I think there's like a list of properties that commodities like this have, but um, it's important that gold doesn't react with anything else. So it stays very pure at, you know, like it just stays as like a, you know, metallic, uh, like structure of gold atoms, whereas many other metals, they immediately react and rust and stuff like that. So it's very important. They It stays pure. Um, it's scarce. So like, you know, no one can just create it out of nothing. Bitcoin does these even better than gold can because... You know who knows like uh right now like there's a kind of an implicit waiting towards who has more gold underneath their earth or who is the first you know who's the first country to start mining gold from asteroids and whatever um yeah
2: it's interesting the different the different types of mines and well societies and mines within the societies that um could mine more gold and all the on all the qualities that are required within a person or a people to mine more gold or to get more gold versus mining more Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> types of they people. both actually the, neither of them you could see neither of them is fair in a way because they both Rotary. require different. You could they both require different things because actually Iceland you could see is having. A really good bitcoin mining operation because they have such cheap energy because it's geothermal so it's like mm. you're kind of just switching who has the who has the advantage there
2: but it's still a natural resource essentially um i mean not as raw as something like gold but i was thinking more and this is going to be more of a question than anything that like okay so there's more easy energy because yes there's even an excess right in iceland of geothermal energy but um mines as opposed to grit yeah um where yeah. it's like to mine big to mine something like bitcoin you need like yeah. decent amount of relatively intelligent people right yeah um and so if you're in a place intelligent people and and the resources to have the technology to even mine bitcoin as opposed to just yeah. literally getting a pickaxe and going yeah. and searching
1: you're um, right it also incentivizes different qualities in people
2: um yeah, that's pretty interesting, but there's only a certain amount of countries that can really, whereas gold is just in certain places. I mean, Bitcoin, like, if you're just in a place where you can't afford a computer or can't afford access to a computer um, or can't afford access to education to figure out how to mine Bitcoin, um, you're at a huge disadvantage No, So it's really yeah. like much more, it's, it's it's significantly easier for anybody, you know, what are people in places that have access to those resources, um, but I guess yeah that is similar in a way to, to
1: yeah to I'd say that you know all in all if if you had to learn the things that would get you gold out of the ground versus learn the things that would get you Bitcoin, you'd probably have more transferable skills doing the bitcoin one um, and you also wouldn't be harming your health as much, so yeah there's <laughs> okay. definitely yeah
0: do you think do you think that
1: a <laughs> Um, Oh, it's worth mentioning, by the way, that in this recent in the recent crash caused by COVID at the beginning of March, um, there was a correlation between all of that and uh, and cryptocurrency prices. So that's a signal from the market that we're not there yet, because if Bitcoin was a seen as something that would be that is very stable and is there is rock solid, then you would see the opposite because it would be the safest asset to liquidate to.
0: Yeah, I think I think we're a solid I think I think 10 years is kind of the early side of Bitcoin actually acting as like a, a reserve as like a gold where the stock market crashes and then Bitcoin like stays steady or goes up. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we're we're probably a good ways away from that why do you um, think
2: we're about 10 years away? I don't disagree, I'm just curious. Well, cuz like and why not why not 70 years? You know. So I mean,
0: it, I'm I say like 10 to 10 to 20 years. Okay. I imagine that that 20 years we could be there just cuz like at the like the rate of technology grows exponentially and like our technological knowledge and advancement grows exponentially. I think Bitcoin being where it is now, it's kind of of impressive for it to be as big as it is for how young it is. Because it only started in 2008 and it's a brand new currency and it has a market cap of like $150 billion or something. And not too long ago, it had a market cap of... about twi- yeah, about twice that, like 300 billion or 400 billion or something like that. which is pretty impressive to build a new currency to just and a, and a brand new technology for it to grow like that in 12 years. Um, but I'm also kind of making that number up, so that's another big aspect of it. <laughs> so would
2: you guys mind uh, talking for a second about the original creation of whether it be Bitcoin or what cryptocurrencies existed before Bitcoin, if any, and what would nah. okay, it was the first one for sure yeah. or was it the first one to gain a name
1: who's the first one
2: okay so yeah. what was the the creation um you can speak to me like somebody who hasn't quite yet entered into elementary school
1: okay <laughs> what was the question
2: the the creation of, of bitcoin initially um like who who did that the original thinking um what successes and maybe failures at the beginning that it had um, or mm-hmm. any anything else that you want to talk about and with the, with the creation. I think it's kind of a cool place so, to start.
1: This is the point where it kind of sounds like a Black Mirror episode because we only have a pseudonym of the guy that created it. We don't actually know Great. who it is. That makes this really uh, exciting. And the pseudonym is Satoshi Nakamoto. And literally it's just, you know, some Japanese name. Um, and we have no idea who he is, although a, a bunch of people have guesses that there's like a short list of people based on like the research that was done before in these concepts. Um, and yeah, it was created in the wake of the financial crash because there was such low trust in the, in the financial institutions. I don't know if the work started before then, I think the work started on it before then, but it might've been launched after that. Um, yeah and since uh, since then there you know it's it's gotten it's gotten increasing waves of you know publicity and you know people coming to it and understanding what the concept is 2017 was the most recent wave um but there was a ton of you know there were ton, there were a ton of waves that happened before it's just they didn't get as wide as the 2017 wave and from the perspective of the people at the time they were like holy shit the price is like ballooning and stuff. And that's when they were talking about the price of Bitcoin in like, you know, the tens or hundreds, not in the thousands like it is now. Um, and so that that's just kind of been its story, you know, every once in a while, there's a bubble, then it pops and, it, you know, it's it remains a higher than it was before the bubble, as more people have found out about it. And as a concept, I think it's a, you know, the concept of cryptocurrency is a pretty solid concept. It's not. Um, It's not a purely speculative. uh, Well, it depends. Some cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are purely speculative, but there's good reason to believe there's good reason to, you know, expect that to not pop completely. Um, And there's other things like Ethereum, which actually provide new ways of doing things. So there's like intrinsic value there.
2: Hmm.
0: I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you say there's I wouldn't say Bitcoin is purely speculative, speculative. Because I think something that's purely speculative has no function. Um, so
1: I, I want to say Bitcoin is purely speculative in the same way the U.S. dollar is purely speculative. So the U.S. dollar only has value because other people say it has value. Right. And it's. Right. Um, yeah. And, you're, okay. and, and, and you're, you're investing in it is the only thing that you're investing in can signal is that you believe other people will value it. Uh, yeah, whereas but, for example, like you can invest in a stock because the stock actually has legal, like there are cash flows that can be derived from the stock that give it like a minimum value, you know? So even if other people don't believe in that stock, you can still reap benefits from it.
0: Okay. Whereas Ethereum, it can, it's like kind of a new technology that can trigger a series of events to happen automatically. And
1: yeah, like there's certain things that you're, that you can do thanks to Ethereum that you could not do before
0: right, okay. Um, so man i was when I was looking into uh into consensus um ahead of this, there's a lot of different stuff that consensus does that i I wasn't aware of like it it two of the things that stuck out the most to me are that it bought an asteroid mining company. Wait, what? you didn't know that no (laughs) yeah consensus bought uh planetary resources which uh is slash was an asteroid mining company it was a company founded in like 2012 that was uh trying to send satellites into space to find asteroids so that they could uh send machines up to like mine them for resources and uh consensus bought them in like 2018 and then and then actually just uh just in in June of this year, they auctioned off all of the hardware and uh apparently you could have bought a ten foot tall vacuum chamber for three hundred and ninety dollars <laughs>
1: <laughs> um I had no idea about this.
0: <laughs> they also um made something called Ujo music, which I'm not. Totally, I don't totally know what that is, but Imogen Heap used that technology created by Consensus to release uh, her single Tiny Human. So she released Tiny Human on the Ethereum,
2: like How using do you know about blockchain. that? How do I? No, I'm just kidding. I used to we used to manage Imogen Heap, um, but I feel oh, like really? I should. I feel like uh, I should probably know more about that because we whole team behind Creative Passport, which is a uh, which is like essentially using cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency ideas to streamline and cut out middle people in the music industry specifically. I should know more about it because I hope to manage it, <laughs> <laughs> but the actual like techniques and technical aspects of it, I don't. I don't really know that well because I haven't done the research. So you probably know better than I do.
1: Yeah, I never like looked into Ujo too much, but yeah, I knew that was the idea. Was that um. It essentially like lets you lets you cut out middlemen in uh yeah, in music distribution.
0: That is that is kind of a cool cool idea. Like I wonder about you know, if there will ever be a decentralized plat, uh platform like Spotify which uh can actually function and grow and replace Spotify. Where instead of uh there being a big corporation that is uh running the show and running the streaming and then taking a, a cut that artists will actually be able to just generate money based on their streams because of an algorithm.
1: Yeah. Well, the um, one of the things that Spotify does is that they take all the money you give them and they put it into, they at least put some of it into machine learning algorithms so they can be the best recommenders. And so they're not simply music distribution, but they're also music recommendation because it is. It is something that um i remember people saying was so impressed about spotify a while ago was how well it showed them new music that they that they liked i had an amazing um, sorry go on yeah and, and i was just gonna say that um you could uh you you could you could try to do this on the blockchain not have the whole logic of like you know the training of the data and the um and the what's it called the training the data and the evaluation of like the neural models happen on the blockchain because you don't want to put all your logic on the blockchain because that would be too expensive because mm-hmm. you get charged for using the system's resources because it's like a global computer mm-hmm. um but there might be ways to essentially do the computations offline and then create a marketplace essentially for recommendations so it's like a protocol which allows individual recommendation vendors to plug in and compete and then you essentially tip them based on how good their recommendations are
0: yeah although man i do it is hard to imagine that being as good as just spotify um recommending stuff
1: well i mean the i think when you create a market for something and people can compete then It's not hard at all to imagine that things will that it will be better you know but when you have like vendor lock-in then there's actually good reason to believe that things will stagnate
0: right yeah so i mean like would would this be it would be like basically some individual music nerd uh sitting down and then providing music recommendations but like how
1: so spotify could still exist but spotify Mm -hmm. instead of like What they would do is they would just become a music recommendation creator and then the the kind of way you consume it is independent of that and so you have your player that plugs into the blockchain and it will provide you lists of recommendations and i have to think like how can you make sure that Yeah, I would have to think this through more because, uh, some of these things get tough when you try to make them completely end to end. Um, like how can you make sure that your benefit is going back to the, uh, the creators, the creators of the recommendations?
0: Yeah. 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 It's, it's the kind of thing where like, I feel like that's going to be one of those things where either it doesn't happen. Or in 50 years, it's going to feel so normal um, where, you know, people just automatically get paid uh, through a decentralized system and there's no company like running the payments of those like where it's just a totally decentralized system like that. And it feels so normal. Um, But right now, it's so hard to envision that because we're so early in blockchain and the and getting to that point where that's where it's so easy to use that you just don't think about it. That's it's oh, yeah. so complex. It's going to require decades of, <laughs> of thousands and thousands of people who are thousands and thousands and thousands of times smarter than me uh, working <laughs> on that. And just like the Mac, the amount of brain power that's going to go into that over the course of decades is so far beyond my comprehension.
1: <laughs>
0: Man, yeah. I, I mean the yeah. the
1: internet as it stands now is not, um, or rather, the web, not the internet, but the web, is yeah, it wasn't an easy task, and uh, a lot of layers came onto it.
0: You know what's the interesting thing about the internet though is that people did predict almost exactly how the internet was going to turn out. Like mm. there, there were I mean there was there's a lot of stuff about the internet they did not imagine, but the year that I was born in uh, in nineteen ninety two, there was an article that was uh, put out in time magazine called um the information superhighway and it was mm-hmm. talking about this new thing called the World Wide web that was going to come out and revolutionize all like business uh the way we interact with each other um and the the way we conduct our day-to-day lives like and our and it it basically it laid out in that article like uh the idea for netflix um the idea for like video sharing, the idea for emails, um, the idea for a lot of what we consider to be like the foundations of the of the web, this person wrote about all those possibilities before it was actually released. Which is, like, to me, trying to th- apply that to blockchain, it seems like so much. It seems even more complex than the internet, where the yeah because the, it's like yeah it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around
1: yeah it's gonna be a whole bunch of magic that's just gonna work behind the scenes
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah man i i there was a point when i was i was really into blockchain and especially for investing like it was kind of pre it was it was pre the 2017 uh spike and i was just looking at all these different projects and really researching a lot and I have really not done much of that in, like, e- e- about a year and a half now, because I'm just like, I, I'm i not going to be capable of understanding what's going on, <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's way beyond my, um, my te- the level of technical knowledge that I even want to have, so <laughs> I'm just going to let it do its thing, and then I'll hopefully get some advantage out of it at some point.
1: I, I, I have those same thoughts about, um, about certain aspects of it. I'm like, I look at all the people working on the cryptography and I was, I'm like, you, you do you, and, uh, you let me know when you, when you're done with that and I can use it.
0: <laughs> so yeah. How, how does that like, where, like, as someone who wor- you work on the Ethereum blockchain. So like you actually do stuff that has an impact on that blockchain, right?
1: mm-hmm
0: so where do you like where do you feel like where are you on the totem pole like if vitalic beard but- buterin or somebody is at the top like where where are you sitting in this
1: uh okay so <laughs> i'll say that in terms of like um designing the protocols or anything like that or or proposing improvements to the protocol i've never done that okay so i've never gone and written up because what you can do is there's this ethereum improvement proposals eips and you can write one of those up and it goes uh in front of the you know all core devs call and like it goes on a few sites and people discuss it and eventually the client teams the people who implement the various Ethereum clients can kind of say yay or nay to it and so i work on one of the ethereum clients but, but like to the vast majority of people use like one of two ethereum clients they use geth or they use one that's called open ethereum and um there's like the thing is there's network effects even in the client you use because The more adopted a client is, the more people are working on it, the more eyeballs are looking at it, the, you know, faster it can get and stuff. And Geth was the original client, so it's got, like, the most senior people working on it who know the most about this stuff. I work on Besu, which is a Hyperledger project. Hyperledger is the Linux Foundation's, like, um, blockchain kind of sub-organization. And... I'm like, you know, I guess if if you if you add together all the people that work on Ethereum clients in the world, you know, there's or like have the knowledge to um Ethereum one clients. Like there's it's probably on the order of like I don't know, hundred to hundred and fifty or something. Um yeah, that I actually work on that actually work on those. And like I participate in all of the awkward devs calls. Or I attend all the alcode all code devs calls, but I definitely don't feel like I'm affecting the protocol. I feel like I am implementing it, making you know making it more usable for the people who use us mm. um and yeah, it just it takes a while to it takes a while to be able to contribute to the protocol even if that's what you want to do and I haven't sat down and like you know, spend time to, you know, research what I would need to do in order to help contribute to the protocol itself. But I know that they all recognize me, so if I if tomorrow I did have a proposal for it, you know, they would know like, oh yeah, it came from Right, you know? Huh. What is a proposal? Yeah. I don't think uh, Vitalik definitely doesn't know who I am, but a lot of the other all devs, they've seen me on calls, I've spoken in the meetings and stuff, so they know who I am.
2: What does um what would a protocol look like? What is what like, what's the in inside of a protocol? What do you need to present, and what do you need to present? I suppose there's, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Ask, so, for
1: example, like, um, there's many different like parts of the of Ethereum. So, like, you could um, you could change the way like like currently what we're doing is we're working with uh, people from um, oh god, what are they called? I forgot what the company's called that was contracted to kind of work on this, but um, we're working with them to look at how we might change the structure of fees for transactions in the blockchain. So uh, because you need to compensate everyone for executing your transactions, you need to add fees for them to be included into the blockchain. So the miners get those fees. Um, right now you use a, what's called a, I think like first first price auction or something or highest price auction, which is known to be very inefficient and it's very unpredictable. And so it leads to clients doing like all sorts of like, or wallets doing all sorts of like price estimation or price guessing, uh, algorithms that will tell you, okay, if you, if you set this price, then your transaction is likely to be included in the blockchain quickly, or, you know, in a medium length of time, or, you know, it's a low priority transaction. So it will get included, you know, after a long time. Um, so using some, like using some of the, uh, the knowledge around how auctions work and how auctions can be made made more efficient, because that's essentially what pricing transactions are, is everyone's participating in an auction. Um, that's going to represent like a change of the protocol because now clients will have to start start understanding different fields in the transaction, like payloads that are being sent across the network, which represents like different components of the fees that you pay, because it's like we're breaking the fee apart into two different types of fees and stuff. So these are all like these are all efforts that need to be orchestrated across clients. And we're currently doing one of my colleagues is doing the work along with the people at this other company to validate this and make sure it works and collect data and, you know, use um, you know, uh, fake agents that are, uh, you know, attempting to send transactions at different prices to see how the network behaves. Like, yeah, this is like, this is how the protocol work kind of gets done.
0: Is, is there, um, do you have a sense of camaraderie with the other people who are working on Ethereum? Does it feel like you're all in a big team or does it kind of just feel like you're a bunch of individuals, uh, working on the same project?
1: It feels like we're a bunch of individual teams most of the time. Hmm. Um, there's not a very... Oh, there's not a very homey atmosphere. It's not like... Um, it depends. I mean, it depends who's running meetings and stuff. There's there's a couple of people who... You know... There is... the, Essentially, I don't think it's anything nefarious or anything not in a various, but like malicious, right? I just think that some of the people who are the most knowledgeable about this have the most pressure on them to get things right, lest they break the blockchain mm. or, um, they have the most demands on their time. They're not, they don't have time to really get to know the people on the other client teams in in a chummy way, you know?
0: Yeah, that, that would really, really suck to be known as the guy who broke the ethereum blockchain. Yeah.
1: You
0: know, especially like in a like in a future where some other cryptocurrency overtakes ethereum and then like revolutionizes the world and it's all because one guy fucked up really bad.
1: Yeah, I mean it never it never looks like that because multiple people will have eyes on something. Yeah. But um yeah, it's
2: it's the same in a lot of we actually, organizational It's, organizational it's, it's actually
1: that. pretty timely because last, last all core devs call, this is the call that we all get on, and then a bit of tomorrow's all core devs call. Um what the main topic was just the burnout and the the responsibility on the shoulder of guests on, on the geth team's shoulders because they are the most they are the super majority client. So because the, the, the Ethereum one blockchain does not have this nice property where um, there's a bunch of different clients implementing the protocol. So if one client fucks up, everyone else goes on and like they do their own thing until, while that client fixes it, you know, because it's a decentralized network. So it kind of acts in a certain way, like it could be central, like it could have a in a way it's represents a form of single point of failure because everyone's running the same software because geth is so much you know, better. And not only is it so much better, but there are all these other considerations to do with the infrastructure that companies who use blockchain are building on. So like if you're constantly syncing new machines, you know, spinning them up, interacting with them, all that stuff like that is outside of the protocol. And so that is kind of client specific. So they can't just take out get and put in base for all of their needs, you know, for some of them. Yeah, but not for all of them. And so there's a lot of friction to moving. And so there's no like clear answer of how we're going to promote client diversity so that we can have a more resilient chain. And the, the, the upshot of this is get this stable now, but they don't want to merge anything that could potentially break anything because the whole thing would go down, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: What, what, what excites you about working on Ethereum or like, what are the things that you imagine, like, are there any particular things you imagine in the future that, um, really motivate you and to, to keep
1: working on it? I think that the, the thing that excited me about the technology is that you can, you can hard code certain things that you don't want tampered with. You know, you can make it so that, you know, the ends of the system where people have to put data into the system is always going to be like, you know, buggy and potentially garbage and all that stuff. But there's all all these, all these things, all these steps along which like corruption can happen in the world. You know, people can skim money off the top here or there, middlemen, all that sort of thing. So when you take out all these middlemen and you you know, you just reduce the potential for, you know, harm into the inputs. One, it's much easier to check the inputs because you can, you know that, okay, once this data from this place goes into the blockchain, it will just execute on the logic that's already there and no one can tamper with it, um, until it, you know, comes out somewhere else and someone has to read that data in and then do something with it. Um, it, it so it makes it easier to, you know, s- surveil and look at like how how is this data going in the right place? And then it makes it, you know, more trivial to see that all of the data flowing through it is, uh, is not being tampered with. And so there's all these awesome things that can happen there. You know, like there... you can have, I, you can have much more robust tax code, for example, okay. where it's much harder to get around things. Um,
0: wait, so do you, do you think that it would actually, um, it would make it harder to evade paying taxes? yeah interesting because that's uh one of the big fears about cryptocurrencies is uh that it'll break the entire tax system well fears and joys to some people that's what a lot of it's only because
1: it's it's the only it's because nothing has been integrated with it yet you know it's like yeah it's
0: like yeah i guess you can because there's no bank that is uh like connecting your bank account to the ethereum blockchain and then to the government or something jesus christ man this (laughs) is such a a, it's i was just thinking about like i'm imagining how this podcast started (laughs) where, (laughs) where we were talking about like rectal horoscopes and that's that's totally like I can totally wrap my head around that. <laughs> <Like> that that's <laughs> totally in my comfort zone. <laughs> and now, like every, like, every time I start thinking about one thing with blockchain, it's like, then I have to ask another question and then another. And I just realize that I'm just not,
1: <laughs> Yeah.
0: I'm not going to be able to, to envision anything.
1: Yeah. Um, but, but another the thing that excites me about... I
0: can envision very clearly. Sorry, go on.
1: Another thing that excites me about working there is just I didn't realize until I joined, but how much the people in Consensus compared to other companies walk the walk in their, you know, in their vision of things being decentralized. So there's so much that happens in a bottom up fashion. Um, there are things that happen in a top down fashion, top down fashion as well. But when possible, the leadership in our company makes far more of an effort than anywhere else for things to come bottom up and for culture to be defined that way. Like our culture surveys and all that stuff. It's like, we have, we have meetings at our team level to discuss what our values are, what our culture is, stuff like that. And then, you know, uh, like the HR lady of like our suborb, like sub suborb, like she takes all that and she like, you know, compiles that into something. And then that's how it, it grows up to the top. Um, as opposed to the other way around, where you know they just say what the values are that
2: structures and um yeah. sorry, that structure seems to fit in perfectly with with what ethereum is trying to do anyway, right yeah like, it I mean the people in the organization or
1: the yeah, the people in the organization are like obviously thinking in less conventional ways about how we have been thinking in less conventional ways about how to organize people, and so for example, like the I don't have like a manager um there's like a whole wide group of people that that you know I respect on certain things and then some people who are you know I'm who are clearly like implicitly higher up in the hierarchy one thing we're actually doing is trying to make the hierarchy more explicit but without actually making it static Mm. so there's a lot of talk recently about like or at least you know what the way I wanted it to go and which I think a lot of people want to go is implicit hierarchy is bad because it, you know, causes resentment and it causes people to honestly, like some people just don't understand where the boundaries lie and why certain things, you know, are dead when cer- certain people say that it shouldn't happen and stuff like that. And also decision-making can be hard. Who's accountable for making decisions and stuff like that. So we've been working towards like, how do we get to hierarchy? But, like, one one hill I really want to die on is, like, it shouldn't be static. There should be opportunity for, like, people to be the owner or, or person accountable for different things based on their expertise. And so, recently, we had these things called, like, technical feature owners where we kind of, like, the product people decide on what we're going to work on. And then we assign, like, the technical feature owners to individual things. And that that's, like, the point person for it. So, like, my... I technical feature own the peer to peer improvements for this next release cycle we're working for. And although I'm not the expert on it, there's this woman, Meredith, who's the expert on it. Like I plan on, you know, asking her enough questions and working on it enough and refactoring enough that I become the expert on it. And then, you know, I do have say in that. And when it comes time to like ask, you know, did this get over the finish line or whatever they know who to talk to, you know, they talk to me. Um, And that way, like, in each individual instance, like, you can assume a position of leadership, like for a short period of time. And then maybe next cycle, you cannot assume any position of leadership, or maybe you're a new person. And like, you know, if it was the hierarchy was more static, it would be harder for you to get into anything that you know, where where people could see you as an owner, but because things are broken up and granularized, and then people are leaders in different ways, you can actually take on some form of leadership much sooner than you could otherwise.
0: Yeah, have you ever read the book The Spider and the Starfish? No. It's a book that predates Bitcoin, but it's talking about different decentralized projects and societies and uh cultures throughout history. And one of them was the Apaches. So mm. the when the conquistador when the conquistadors came uh to the Americas, they went to, uh, for example, the Incas, who had a strong centralized society and uh, based around Machu Picchu and like the this, this city. So what the Spaniards would do, they just blocked off the roads so that um, they, they kill the leader, they kill the king uh, of that city, and then they block off all the roads so no supplies can get in until all the Incas uh, starved. And so it was very clear. They see the leader. They see uh, the city. This is where the people are. We just make sure that all those, that the right people die. And then the whole thing falls apart and we uh, kill all of them. Um, but the Apaches didn't work like that because they did live, I think, in a city, but like the city wasn't central to the whole Apache culture. And they, they didn't have one static king or one static queen or one static leader that was mandated in by god or voted into power or anything like that they just had a person who when like if one leader died another person who just kind of had general social authority in the group another person would uh would like kind of stand up and then people uh would uh either place their trust in that person or not if they didn't, then another person would stand up, and then like they just place their trust in that person, and then okay, good, we have a new leader, and so this really confused the Spaniards, um, because the Spaniards were like, all right, we're just gonna do the same thing we did uh, to the Incas, we're just gonna do it to the Apaches, right? Kill the leader, and then uh, and then just like another leader pops up, and then the Apaches keep uh, like keep fighting, and they're like, oh fuck, okay, well let's um, so let's just surround them all, but they, there wasn't one central place where they were. Uh, located, and so then the Apaches were just like, Okay, we're, we'll just be like nomadic now, and uh, they keep going nomadic. And because they were decentralized like this, and there were no central points of failure, the Spaniards never conquered the Apaches and never killed them until they introduced cows into Apache culture. Uh, and that because oh. the cows were super, super, super valuable, maybe a more valuable animal <laughs> than anything else that they had. Then they started to base everything around the cow, and then that became their central point of failure that led to the downfall of the Apaches.
1: Wow. And so that's basically Bitcoin. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Cows.
0: And it's basically what what you're talking about, too, with just like, you know, a temporary leadership is actually... um, Like, it might be more complicated to get to that point as a company because you don't have a whole lot of um, role models or, like, role model companies to base your, your system off of. But if you can look to the Apaches and be like, okay, this person is a leader for now because they're the best person suited to this particular fight... And then once that fight's over, you either uh, murder that person (laughs) or um, or you just let them uh, step down. And when another person is more suitable leader for a different fight, they can they can stand up for that.
1: That's that's really cool. I wonder I wonder if that's why um, there's a big um, open source collective called the Apache Foundation. And our the 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 copyright license on our code is actually the in the Apache two license. That's actually what it's inspired um,
0: by. I think that's mentioned in the okay.
1: book. Oh okay. The the software yeah. company? Or the software organization. Mm. Okay, interesting. That's cool.
0: Yeah, so have a look at that book.
1: <laughs> yeah. <That's awesome.
0: laughs> um, what do you think, guys? Should we should we wrap it up?
2: <laughs> I, got, I sadly gotta get going. Yeah. Um, but don't let me be the party pooper um, There's all sorts of rabbit holes You guys can keep going down if you wanted to
1: I have to figure out How to get World of Warcraft working On my Linux computer <laughs> Before I hang out with my friends tonight So Yeah,
0: yeah that's, that's a pressing priority <laughs> That, that yeah. is
2: important Good
1: luck Yeah. If anybody cool. can do it, it's you
0: Is there any chance you're not going to be yeah. able to figure it out? yes okay so, so we're on the we're on the clock the pressure's on
1: yeah <laughs>
0: all right everybody uh listeners uh, please vote yes or no if you think rye is gonna figure it out and <laughs> if he doesn't then we'll collectively all five of us will uh <laughs> we'll we'll send a, a sorry a
2: condolences letter to you and we'll also send you a computer that can run world of warcraft with yeah. the correct operating yeah, system. Yeah, just
1: any I guess any Windows computer will yeah, do. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Right.
0: Is is there anywhere you want people to find you? You don't you don't do a whole lot of social media stuff, do you?
1: Oh, um I guess you can um you can go to Dev. That's my website. Okay. Um Yeah rai.dev okay get ready
2: to see a huge uptick in the number of viewers and clicks onto your page
1: oh yeah yeah i'm hosted on google so you know i hope you don't bring the servers down
0: i hope hope google has enough uh has enough firepower (laughs) to withstand what's about to come to them
2: that's called the the name of our podcast is effect
1: So, what was the name of your podcast that you never told me? Yeah,
0: so the name of our podcast is...
1: No, listeners, he keeps pausing and playing the sound over the pauses. What you heard is not what I heard.
0: (laughs) That is the name of our podcast. It is the name of our podcast is dot 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 because i hate you <laughs> and i wanted you to be confused <laughs> and everybody yeah we hate you all go fuck yourselves it is interesting
2: to see the uh the rea- the reactions i was figuring either people would be very would just not react or they would think it's hilarious and most people are like oh god like most uh, people oh.
0: most most people uh i think don't get past the confusion
2: yeah uh, which is think... which is more fun for us than anybody yeah wait yeah you know.
1: i thought i got past the confusion but now i'm confused
0: <laughs> well damn that that
1: gap that pause you left was not to put in the like some audio over it no
0: no the, the actual name of our podcast is the name of our podcast is dot dot dot
1: <laughs> oh
2: my god <laughs> he's for all of our listeners so, out there he's making, well, like i was uh, just gonna uh, edit in moment audio. type of a face Uh, I
0: was just going to edit in another audio. It's like the name of our podcast is Sperm. Oh, God. Okay. And our producer is Spermwell Johnson. So this has been some great bonus content for all our (laughs) listeners here at the end. Um... Goodbye, everybody. I hate you all, and I hope you love me more than I hate you. And uh, Merry Christmas, if it's, that's
1: the time you're listening. <laughs> and goodbye. Bye-bye.